0: to be back with you tonight, and I just want to thank you for coming out on a a Saturday evening. I know that there are other things going on. Uh, We were eating tonight. I was with the Strongs and Sister uh, Rita, and there was a football game playing, so I know there's stuff that is going on in the world, but uh, I can't think of anywhere that I'd rather be than with God's people, like a meeting like this, and uh, I am just so thankful for the invitation to be with you all I really appreciate the uh, prayers that have been led uh, the last two evenings and the songs that have been sung and uh, the fellowship that we've been able to enjoy. And I look forward to the first day of the week tomorrow to gather together the day that our Lord and Savior rose from the dead to uh, worship his holy name in spirit and in truth. And uh, I believe we'll have Bible class at 9 o'clock in the morning. Is that right? And worship about 10 o'clock And it will be, if we live to see another day, it will be an honor to gather together and do that uh, together. Last night we talked about a biblical response to uh, cancel culture. And we we dealt with how we uh, need to realize that cancel culture is nothing new. You remember that point that cancel culture has been around in one form or another throughout time, basically for thousands of years. And and we could have gone back uh, further or farther back than... Uh, the days of Pharaoh in Egypt and, and Exodus chapter 1 and, and what he was doing to the, to the Israelites. We could have gone back farther, but we, uh, we started there and then we went forward. And we also talked about how we should respond to cancel culture and how it's, it's, it, you know, God doesn't want us, and in the sense that we don't have his authority, we don't have the right to respond to cancel culture with this let's stop up our ears and respond to cancel culture like cancel culture tends to respond to truth if they don't have honest and good hearts. And so we don't want to respond to cancel culture with a canceling type mentality. We want to respond to cancel culture with the invitation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of Jesus Christ. We want to to respond to a dark world with the light of the Lord. We want to respond to a dark world just as Jesus did when He came into the world and His own would not and did not you know, receive him. And Jesus, even though he was nailed to a cross, asked his father, Forgive them for they know not what they do. Don't don't you, don't, don't I, don't we want to to be like Christ? That's not to say that, that there shouldn't be anything in this world that makes us frustrated or makes us angry. Even Jesus got angry at times, but we don't need to have, as Paul would talk about in Ephesians chapter four, Uh, We don't need to have that, that sinful anger. We can be disappointed, we can be frustrated, we can be sickened by the sin of the world, but we want to respond to cancel culture as we talked about last night. We want to respond courageously. We want to stand up and speak up and do what is right and say what is right. We want to do it as our next point we talked about. We want to do so patiently. And as we kind of rush through that final point that I don't know if I ever got up on the screen, we want to do all things in love. We want to understand that the fundamental summary of Christianity is to love God with everything we have and to love our neighbor as ourselves and allow that love that we have to, you know, kind of be the foundation of how we react to the world around us. Tonight we're looking at, preparing to give an answer God's defense recipe in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. And we'll really deal with some things, Lord willing, here in this uh, first hour. Um, we'll deal with some things that I think kind of overlap a little bit or maybe even continue through uh, some of the discussion that we had last night. You know, apologetics doesn't have anything to, to do with apologizing. There certainly is a need for us when we do something wrong to apologize but apologetics has to do with giving answers with giving a defense with giving reasons for why we believe what we believe and why we do what we do i received a letter one time from a uh, woman who said i'm leery of your name referring to apologetics press apologetics i'm a servant of the living god and have no need to apologize for anything Well, that's one of the few people I guess I've ever met who said they don't have a need to apologize for anything. But if she meant for, um, for living the Christian life, I, I understand that. But apologetics comes from the Greek word apologia, which is defined as to give a verbal uh, an answer or a defense for, again, why you believe what you believe and why you do what you do as a Christian. And that word is probably most often associated with the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. Of course, Jesus was the master teacher. He was the master defender. I mean, when you read through the Gospel accounts, can, can you see how many times Jesus' response to, um, to the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees, can't you just picture that with their mouths just being, you know, jaw the, dropping to the ground? Or what was the character on TV that would, you know, do this with his face when he would get all, you know, uh, upset and bothered by something or other? Y'all can tell me after this because I've totally just forgot where that came from. And what was that? Curly, Curly. yes, that's right, Curly from the Three Stooges, okay? So, I mean, the way Jesus responded with, with such amazing logic, and oftentimes, sometimes he just didn't respond at all because the best thing to do is just to, you know, to be silent. And then sometimes he responded with a question and, and uh, off, always he responded just perfectly and, and brilliantly. And so Jesus is, without a doubt, the greatest apologist, answerer, defender of truth that has ever lived. And then we think of the Apostle Paul who wrote in Philippians 1 that he was appointed for the defense, or the, the apologion of the gospel, or as he um, spoke in Acts chapter 26 before Festus and Agrippa and, and Luke writing that as he, Paul, thus made his defense, his apologia, my, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. You're insane, Paul. You're crazy, Paul. Paul didn't go on to say, yeah, you're exactly right. I am. This is all nuts. I'm a fruitcake. I, I don't know what I'm talking about. This is all based on emotions and feelings. And I don't really know for sure what. No. His response was, I'm not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. Notice the contrast of insanity with truth and reason. It is our privilege as followers of Jesus Christ. It is uh, you know, our obligation as servants of Jesus Christ to respond to those who have questions about Jesus Christ and His church, His kingdom, and His ways. We have an obligation, an opportunity. And hopefully we are excited about talking to people about the most important things that anyone could imagine. Interestingly, I only know of one time in the New Testament where this word is associated with the Apostle Peter. The Apostle Peter, who you might recall at one time denied Jesus. Well, he denied Jesus three times, actually, the night of Jesus' arrest and betrayal and arrest. Uh, the, the same Peter who had enough faith to jump out on the boat and get you know, on the water, and then he began to sink as his faith was somewhat shaken. The Apostle Peter, who was imperfect, maybe more perfect than than me or you but he was he was imperfect the same apostle peter who in galatians 2 paul reminds us or informs the churches of galatia that we read isn't that something that there's a book i mean would you have wanted to be the uh, the apostles and disciples where or even just some of the men and women of the bible who for thousands of years things about you were recorded and not always the best things about you that's one of the amazing things about the bible is is how perfectly impartial our god is so that even the heroes of the bible they oftentimes have, there are lessons that we learn about them from the mistakes that they made. And the Apostle Paul says in Galatians that he withstood Peter to the face because of some of the problems he was causing, because of some of the apparent favoritism he was showing still after all those years to the Jews, rather than, to, uh, to the, than showing equality with the Gentiles and the Gentile Christians. And so Peter wasn't perfect, but God uses Peter. The Holy Spirit inspired Peter to write. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense or an apologion or as the King James says, an answer to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. First uh, point I'd like for us to make this evening is that apologetics. Well, actually, actually before I get to the first point, this is a long introduction, y'all forgive me. Let me just kind of set a little bit more of the context of our day and time. Um, in our country, it used to be that in 1972, 90% of Americans claimed to be Christian, however, so broadly that term is used. In 2007, that had dropped to 78%, and by 2022 is now 64%. In 1972, only 5% claimed no religion at all. They would have included, that would have included the atheists, agnostics, skeptics, just people who were claimed to be uh, not affiliated with any religion whatsoever. That number grew to 2007 to 16%, and now is nearly 30 So this is the world in which we live today in this country where in my humble estimation and judgment that Christian evidences and Christian apologetics is as important as it ever has been in this country. It's important for us to talk about this at home with our our children and our grandchildren. It's it's important to to try to equip ourselves, and it's important to be able to talk to people about the most important and fundamental and foundational things that you can ever imagine. According to a 2021 annual survey by the American Worldview Inventory, 43% of millennials don't know, care, or believe that God exists. This is a statistic that goes back nearly a decade now from 2014. And I'll update it as I get newer information. In 2014, though, 88% of American households owned at least one Bible and 82% of adults consider themselves moderately, if not highly knowledgeable, of the Bible. 46% of Americans and 61% of millennials are non-Bible readers. Isn't it interesting that 82% of adults, at least in 2014, considered themselves moderately, if not highly knowledgeable, of the Bible. But admittedly, 46% are non-Bible readers. And they define non-Bible readers as those who did not read the Bible any more than three times a year outside of some kind of religious service. 60% of Americans could not, in 2014, correctly identify the first five books of the Bible, even within a multiple-choice question. You know, when I was in school, all yay, those many years ago, I'm I'm thinking of, you know, public high school, for example, back in Oklahoma. Graduated high school in 1994. You can see all the gray hair is just coming in like crazy now. That's how old I am. But, you know, it was a a thing for a lot of students just to kind of brag about how dumb they were. They really weren't dumb. It was just like, do you all remember this? Is this still a thing with students where you kind of brag about how, oh, yeah, I failed that test, or I'm not taking any books home, I'm not going to do my homework. It was kind of like if you did your homework and you, you made good grades, you were considered, you know, nerdy and a goody-two-shoes. And, and I'm, I'm thinking, you know, sadly, a lot of people have been, for years, a lot of people have been that way with God's Word. It's like, I'm afraid even some Christians, maybe many Christians. You know, I get the Bible on Sunday morning and maybe Sunday night or Wednesday night, maybe, and, and that is totally enough. I wonder sometimes if we have too many Christian non-Bible readers who don't open up the Bible or, you know, do you all, brothers and sisters, do you all realize just what a treasure trove of ways that we can immerse ourselves into the Word of God? I mean, some people have it on their iPhone, some people an iPad, some people like me, we just can't not get away from a good old paper copy. By the way, we, we offer the Apologetics Press Study Bible. Uh, you can order it on Olive Tree. I think you can order it on Amazon. But you know what? I kind of like the fact that a lot of people still just want the good old paper copy. You know, when I see my kids, bless their hearts, you know, they they use the electronic Bible a lot more. And there's not, you know, that's a preference. I'm just thinking, I wonder if that's as good as the one that I have in my hand, you know? But I'm afraid there are too many Christians, even though we have it available. I mean, you can... How awesome it is I have an app on my phone that I can just listen to the Bible anytime I want to. That you can go to YouTube or just type in a a, a Bible chapter and what translation you want to listen to on the internet and just bring it up in probably two or three seconds. And yet how how many of us are are doing that? We live in a world, and let me just say this, I I, I want you to, and I surely believe that the Lord wants you to, But you know, if you only crack open your Bible and listen to it sincerely on Sundays and maybe at times like this, you still know a whole lot more Bible than the average American who needs help understanding the Bible. Listen, nearly 50% of American millennials indicated that Sodom and Gomorrah were or might have been married. Nearly 50%. I'm afraid that this statistic's not getting any better. Just a few more statistics to kind of help us understand the world that we're living in today. 52% of Americans now believe that Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. This is according to an article that came out in Newsweek magazine just in 2020 based on a poll that was taken, a study that was done by a nonprofit organization down in, um, in Florida that was three times as large as any political poll that you can ever sort of, kind of, trust, maybe. I'm just saying that there were a lot more people who were, who were asked about their religious beliefs, and 52% of Americans thought that Jesus was a good man but was not God, and another 12% were unsure. What that means is a total of 64% of Americans believe Jesus was not or are sure whether he is God. And yet, you might recall that Jesus said, except you believe that I am, that I am He, that I am. You know, Jesus was claiming, He claimed this in the Gospel of John, to be the I am that I am, that He was the eternal Yahweh God of the Israelites. And except you believe that he is, he says, you will die in your sins. Is it important to know that Jesus was more than a mere man? That he's more than what some claim, like the Jehovah's Witnesses, that he, that he was a created angel? Or that he is the, Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, the wonderful counselor, the almighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace? That's what the Old Testament prophesied about the nature of Jesus Christ, and yet we live in a day and time when only 37% of Americans surveyed strongly or somewhat agree that Jesus was God. Well, thankfully, we have, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, some words that I think can help us over the next maybe 20 minutes here to help us understand some things about giving a, a verbal defense, a, uh, an answer to those who ask us for the reason of the hope that is in us and the first point i'd like to make well you say eric that was a whole lot of introduction well okay i'm gonna try to move on here is that this is for all of us this is not just for the quote unquote clergy this is for everybody well eric what do you mean by that and where do you really get that well I want you to realize that 1 Peter 3.15 is found in, you know where it's found, it's found in the epistle that Peter wrote. That Peter wrote to Christians who were dispersed all over mainly the, the northern part of Asia Minor Minor, where he was writing to these various churches and Christians there. And he's writing to, to Christians. He's, you know, he's not addressing this to just a preacher or to an elder. He's writing to The elect, he's writing to, verse 3, to the begotten. Those who have been begotten. Have you been begotten again by the blood of the Lamb? Have you been born again? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. We realize that he's writing here to, to... Obedient, chapter 1 and verse 14, to obedient children. Are we sons and daughters of God? I mean, I know there are different senses in which, the term, in which those terms are used. Sometimes sons of God refers to angels. Sometimes it uh, may refer to you know, Adam as by creation the son of God or Jesus in a very unique, special sense the son of God. But We are also children of God. We are sons and daughters of God. And, and Peter is writing to those whom he and God wants to be obedient children. And if you, you need more specifics, as you read in chapter 2, he's writing to, verse 18, to servants. Or, in that day and time, slaves. In chapter 3 and verse 1, he's writing to wives. Are any of you wives? Well, then we need to see what, what Peter's talking about here. Are any of you husbands? Because in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7, he says, Husbands, likewise, dwell with them. Dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife. He's talking to husbands. Chapter 5 and verse 1, he's, he's talking to elders. But, but really, he's not so much... When he says elders there, he says, the elders who are among you. When, when Peter says the elders who are among you, who's the you? Well, that's the Christians. That's the churches. And you have elderships who oversee individual congregations. That's God's framework. That's His design For the church. And by the way, it's such a blessing to see churches with good, godly elderships because there are some who don't have elders and hopefully they're on their way to teaching and nurturing along to help have elders at some point. Some churches have been without elders for years and decades. It is a blessing to have elders. And I hope this congregation and the congregations where you are from that you are praying for them and loving them and supporting them. Well, Peter addresses elders, but he's really writing to the churches who are overseen by elders. And young people, listen, I'm not leaving you out, neither did the Holy Spirit. Because in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5, he says, Likewise, you younger people, you you might have thought you were getting out of this. Some of you might have already started going to night-night, okay? But those who can understand, those who have reached an age of mental maturity and accountability... He says he's talking to you young people submit yourselves to your elders yes all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility if that wasn't clear enough in chapter 3 and verse 8 he says finally all of you be of one mind could we make it could the Holy Spirit have made this any clearer that when he says sanctify set apart the Lord in your hearts as God, set him apart, sanctify Him, and be ready always to give an answer to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. I know that there are questions that you and I are going to get. I'm not a I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, and sometimes I get questions that I'll scratch my head and I think, you know, I need to think more about that and study more about that before I give you an answer. I don't, I don't uh, automatically know answers to every question that people have, and I tell you, people have some doozies, and sometimes, oftentimes, they're kids. Kids can think up some questions like, I never even thought about that before. But you know, we may not know every question under the sun, but can we? with a clear conscience and and with a a conviction based on truth, tell people about the hope that is in us. It is the responsibility, the privilege of all Christians, not just the quote-unquote clergy. And it is for sincere saints and not counterfeit Christians. You know, if I'd had more time last night, I, I would have perhaps mentioned that, you know, one of our responses to cancel culture should be you know, a sincere Christian life. You know, one reason I say that in light of our study last night is because I tell you, it seems like cancel culture can sniff out a hypocrite faster than a blue tick hound can tree a coon. And I don't know much about hunting coons, but I, I hear that a blue tick hound can tree them pretty good and pretty quickly. And we live in a day and time where it's like, I mean, there's an all-seeing eye up there. I don't know. Do y'all know that you can just say something? And I I truly believe, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I think our phones just listen to us. Because you can talk about, I don't know, uh, like a a wooden chair that you need for home. And then the next thing I know, tomorrow I'm going to have all these advertisements for, you know, uh, kitchen chairs, you know, bar stools or something like that. If I say bar stool, are you going to show up tomorrow somewhere on my phone? I'm... I'm just saying, whether it's technology or whether it is social media or whatever it is, in this day and time, I'm, and, and there's a part of me that doesn't mind. I'm like, hey, I don't want to get away with sin. So if I'm, if I'm doing hypocritical things, then, then our, our prayer should be, God, call me out. Amen to that? You know, if I'm not living the right kind of life, then, you know, it, it'd be nice, I guess it, it's, it's, it's nice if, you know, maybe your wife calls you out on that, or, or, or a child, or just a good friend, but sometimes it's your enemies. And in this day and time, it sure seems to be that cancel cultures, watching Christians especially, may be closer than about anyone to see if we're going to mess up. And we're going to mess up sometimes. And when we mess up, we just need to apologize and say, I'm sorry, and, and move on. We are not perfect. God knows we're not perfect. Jesus was perfect, so we don't have to be, but... God does want us to walk in the light. He does want us to be faithful. And listen, if I can know how to be a faithful husband and I can know how to be a faithful dad, I don't know how in the world I I can't know not to be a faithful son or daughter of God. We can know the difference between faithfulness to God and recklessness and living in perpetually and habitually in sin. God wants us to be sincere in our Christian walk. I mean, you, you see this right there in 1 Peter three fifteen when he says, sanctify. From the Greek uh, hagios, to set apart, to be holy. You know, he says earlier in this epistle, to be holy in all your conduct. Chapter 1, and verse 15. Why? Verse 16, because it is written, be holy for I am holy. A quotation from the book of Leviticus. Be holy. And, and by the way, be holy. It's not a holier-than-thou kind of attitude. We don't want our non-Christian friends or our Christian friends to look at us and we have some kind of sticking our chin up in the air and acting like we're better than anyone. We're not, and we don't need to act that way. We can be confident in our Christian walk. I fully believe God wants us to be. Once you know that you are saved by the grace of God, by the mercy of God, by the blood of Jesus Christ, you know that, you have responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you are uh, uh, submitting your life to the King of kings, then you can be confident in your salvation. John said, these things I have written to you that you may know that you have eternal life. Brothers and sisters, God doesn't want you or me or any other Christian to have the mindset of, I just don't really know if I'm saved or not. If we don't know, then we need to do some more meditating, some more talking to some brothers and sisters in Christ so that we might, and more reading on God's Word and praying to God so that we might come to this whether we are or not saved. Again, that doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect in everything we do and think and say, but we can be be faithful. We can be believers followers. That's what Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 13. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? Followers of God. But let's not be hypocrites. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1, he says, therefore lay aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy. Let's lay this aside. Jesus said what in Matthew 5 and verse 20? Accept your righteousness. We may have quoted this last night. Accept your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. You will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. We need to, moms and dads, grandparents, we need to think about Timothy and his mother and his grandmother and how the Apostle Paul said that he called to remembrance the genuine... It's really the unhypocritical, genuine faith that is in you, Timothy, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded, is in you also. What a compliment to Timothy. It was a genuine faith. May God help you and me to have a real, non-hypocritical, genuine faith and that our prayer would be if we turn aside to hypocrisy that God will turn us back and call us out so that we might live right, do right, and be right for the kingdom of God. God's defense recipe is for all Christians, for sincere saints. Listen, insincere saints, hypocrites oftentimes are only going to harm, harm God's business. Harm the business of the kingdom of Christ. Harm the influence for good. You know, it's not that we shouldn't evaluate ourselves. We don't want to be that way, but we've probably all known some individuals who have lived perhaps sadly hypocritical lives for days, months, or years, and then it was uncovered and maybe they never repented and they caused a lot of harm. Sometimes it's a dad or mother. Sometimes, sadly, it might be a a Bible class teacher that a kid has known for years and thought the world of and and can still think if that person is is repenting of such a thing. We want to be ready to give an answer to everyone, and those answers will be much better received, potentially if it's coming from a sincere saint an individual who's been called out of darkness and into light and is truly walking in the light rather than some counterfeit Christian. This is for as we talked about last night. This is for the courageous. You know, 1st Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, again, this is embedded in a context of difficulty. I mean, 1st Peter chapter 1 verses 6 and 7, in this you greatly rejoice though now for a little while if need if need be you have been grieved by various trials. They'd been tested, next verse says, by fire. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and following, he says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. Verse 13, But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. Verse 14 of chapter 4, If you are reproached or insulted for the name of Christ, blessed are you. He would go on and say, let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. But if anyone, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this name or in this matter. And then when you, you go back to 1 Peter 3 and verse 15, the verse before that, the verse after that, what you see is God saying, okay, I know you're living in, Troubling times, he says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. 1 Peter 3, 14. He says, and do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Verse 16, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. How is it that we can be courageous and God-fearing? Not fearing what man shall do to us, but having a a respectful and reverential fear of God. And yes, also just realizing that this is God who will punish individuals in everlasting hell for those who never come to Him for salvation, for those who reject the plan of salvation, for those who turn away from if they had at one time obeyed the gospel turn away and go back and live in a dark world you know why we can be saved you know why we can be courageous in our salvation well because we have an almighty awesome god that peter refers to in first peter chapter 3 and verse 12 when he when he's quoting from the psalmist who says for the eyes of the lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. How can he know your heart and your mind and your prayers and mine and everyone around the world? Because he's all-knowing, and he's all-powerful, and that's the God that we serve. You know, we don't serve some kind of weak God. We don't serve some, some uh, you know uh, Greek immoral God from 2,000 years ago. We serve an everlasting, all-powerful, all-knowing God. And our God can do all things, including save us and keep us saved again by the grace of God and through our free will that He gave us to choose, to choose salvation in Christ Jesus. God's defense recipe is for all Christians, the sincere saints, who who are, are motivated to stand up and be courageous. As we look forward to what is to come, you know I'm thankful that I have a house to go home to. At least I think I still do. And and there's a, isn't there a there can be a comfort in whether it's a one bedroom apartment or whether it's in a a house somewhere to go to your physical home. But you see. As much as you and I might like to... I mean, there's not much more I like, you know, this side of eternity, I I suppose, than going and sitting in my little old... I mean, it's probably about a 25, 30-year-old blue chair. And I can put my feet up and I can drink a cup of coffee and just have some respite. I mean, I, I love that. But God says there's something just infinitely better. He says in 1 Peter chapter 1 and, and verse 3, he said, you know, we've been begotten again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance. Oh, does that, does the word, if anybody ever says, you know, you're going to have an inheritance, does that make you kind of perk up? You ever had a, a grandparent or a mom or dad say, I've got some inheritance I'm going to leave you? I don't know many people who wouldn't say, well, let me hear a little bit more about it. What are you, what are you talking about there? You're talking about like, or $1,000, or what are you talking about there? When God says that he's got an inheritance for you and me, that should make us perk up like we've never perked up before. To an inheritance incorruptible. I mean, listen, I don't know, have y'all seen some dollar bills, some tens? Sometimes when I get a $20 bill and it's kind of half-ripped, I'm thinking, I don't know if I can use that or not. You know, it's corruptible. I mean, I I still do, and thankfully most places still take it. An undefiled that does not fade away reserved in heaven. And listen to what Peter said. For you. I mean, I know he was writing to Christians in the first century. But is this not applicable to us today? If we have been begotten again by the grace of God through the understanding of the Spirit's Word that brings us to the watery grave of baptism as we come to it having confessed our faith in Jesus Christ, being willing to turn away from sin, and being willing to submit ourselves into the watery grave of baptism. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21, baptism does also now save us not the removal of the filth of the flesh but the answer of a good conscience toward god by or through if i might just say the power of the resurrection of jesus christ jesus had never risen from the dead baptism wouldn't have any meaning whatsoever we'd just be taking a bath but this is where salvation is found in christ being cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. When we contact that blood in the saving the saving blood of Jesus in the watery grave. Just as Ananias told Saul to arise and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on the name of the Lord. You see those of us who have been saved by God, we have a real hope of heaven. Of going somewhere else listen I know what what county is this Jackson County that we're in I know y'all love living in Jackson County Tennessee don't you? I can just tell it i mean, I come here and I talk to people who may be at, at this congregation or some other congregations I met someone at Chick-fil-a today yeah I had a Southwest chicken salad at Chick-fil-a boy you can't get much better than that other than that fried fish we had the night at Helen's is that the name of the place yes met a met a gentleman um, talked to him he was a member of the body of christ always just love getting to talk to people about the church and and you could just see how much he loved living in jackson county tennessee you, you know i like being here and and i like i like staying in a nice clean hotel room i've stayed in some nasty hotel rooms before I, i'm not a real big fan of those sometimes you got to do what you got to do i get it and sometimes some brethren they just put you in a hotel room that you walk around, it feels like you're kind of halfway walking in a swimming pool where the carpet's all wet and stuff. You and me kind of go on and tell you some stories that I have. And so anyway, I like a nice, clean hotel room. And I like, I don't i don't mind checking in at all to a nice, clean hotel room. But you know what else I look, you know what I look forward to more than checking in to the Hampton Inn in Cookville? Well, I look forward to checking out. Because then I'm going where? I'm going home. And you, you. I get it. There's something nice about a three-star, four-star, five-star resort. Don't know if I've ever stayed in one of those before. But um, you'd get tired of it. You'd be ready to go home. You know what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17? He says, And if, I call, if you call on the Father who without partiality, and we need to be people like that who show no, no partiality, God help us, judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear i love the way it's worded and i'm reading from the new king james where it says this is how you were to conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here it almost sounds like we're staying at a hotel well see you know you go and you check into a hotel you know while you're here i want you to know there's a gym down here down listen I, i've i've I don't visit those gyms like I should, but I, I should pay more attention to them. You know, there's a gym down here and there's a breakfast bar over here. I perk up when they talk about the breakfast bar and the, the free coffee. Sometimes I have cookies out there and it's all I can do to stay away from those. Throughout the time of your stay, here, you see, this is temporary. We have our hope. We have our goal. We have our mind. We have our heart set on Heaven, And when people ask us about that, we are going to respond to them with the right attitude and meekness and in fear. And we are going to respond with kindness. We are going to respond, God help us, to a crazy and seemingly crazier world by the day that we live in. With the right attitude, giving answers that are anchored in in truth, in facts. You know, people may not like the fact that God exists, but He does. Just because they may not like that and they want to do whatever they want to do and not be accountable to any higher individual, higher being, that doesn't mean that higher being doesn't exist. Our our faith is anchored in the truths that God does exist and that the Bible is the Word of God. And that what the Bible tells us about how to be saved from our sins, and sin is a real thing, is the one true way to heaven through Jesus Christ. And you know, as, as you read and study what God's uh, spoken prophets and written prophets have, have revealed to us, they reveal things that were clear, they reveal things that were true, they reveal things that honest and good-hearted people would hear and would hear with gladness. And I fully believe, brothers and sisters, that there are either people right here in Jackson County or in the surrounding counties and maybe all over the place who need to hear the kind of things that you and I have to say about the hope that is in us as we prepare ourselves to do so. We need to prepare ourselves. I think that starting with just a good Bible reading, maybe writing down things we don't understand very well, and we'll go back and revisit those things, and maybe we'll talk to to uh, other Christians who have been studying these things or some teachers and preachers and elders and their wives who have been thinking and talking about these things and we just continue to equip ourselves and we equip our young people. I'm assuming your Bible classes are back this way. That's why I'm pointing back there how how precious it is that young people are learning eternally important Bible truths at a young age. Learning to, to... to build up and to become a faithful person one day and also to help other people become faithful. Will you bow with me, please? Holy Father, thank you for this period of study and thank you so much for bringing us together from a variety of places. Thank you for this congregation and for uh, her uh, leadership here and for their desire to have various meetings and fellowships throughout the year that uh, can be very encouraging to us and helping us to, to, uh, to build up our own personal faith and also prepare ourselves to help other people know about the mo- most important things in the world. Thank you for uh, this period of study. Thank you for a, a period, uh, a break here for a few minutes. And we pray for another good study here this evening and a great first day of the week tomorrow. If It be your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I think we'll take about a 10-minute break or so here.